I think I listened to it once, possibly twice. So I'm... You do realise now that you've said that you're not getting on this episode. Why? Now I'm only messing. Because you have to have listened to it at least twice. Lots of cool things going on. Yeah, okay. 2021 is the year of Arts Insights, so... Hello everyone, you are very welcome to Arts Insight. I'm Kira. I'm your host. And we're back. It's 2021, first episode of the new year. I've had a bit of a slow start to the new year. I don't know about anyone else. So please ignore the fact it's February. February is the new January in my books. So we're just going to ignore that. (laughs) I hope you're all doing well. This is going to be a really good episode um, to start off the new year. I'm interviewing two very close friends of mine. In part one, I'm going to be chatting to Lindsay Lawler who is a musician, spoken word artist, composer. She's a bit of a jack of all trades, so it's a great interview. I think you're really going to like it. Part two, I'm going to be talking to Martin Morin, who is also a musician. He is the program director of Sub Sounds and the director of Alternative Entertainment's arts organisation. So just a couple of things before I get into part one with Lindsay. I want to just explain a couple of things um, just in case you're sitting there wondering what we're talking about with these different projects. (laughs) Um, So Subsounds, we talk about a little bit in both interviews, actually. It's a youth music collective that is run out of Rear Red Arts Centre in Tala. Um, It's managed and delivered by a partnership between Alternative Entertainments, which Martin is the director of, and Contact Studio, which obviously is the studio that produces this podcast as well. Subsounds is funded by Music Generation South Dublin. And yeah, just in case you're sitting there wondering what it is, I don't know if we clarify during the interviews. So just thought that would be useful. Um, In Lindsay's interview as well, we talk a little bit about her involvement with a collaboration with Emergence. So Emergence, in case you're not aware already, is a young choreographer's mentoring programme. So it gives an opportunity for young dancers aged between 13 and 25 to create their own dance work while being guided by professional choreographers. It's a brilliant initiative. So Lindsay is involved with a collaboration between Emergence and Contact Studio, again, which is also funded by Music Generation South Dublin. So I hope that helps. I hope that just puts it a little bit into context when you're listening to the interviews. I'm going to start off part one, which is talking to Lindsay Lawler, and I'll come back to you before part two. I hope you really enjoy. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. My name is Lindsay Lawler. I'm from Dublin. I'm a singer, I'm a songwriter, I'm a poet and a spoken word artist. Are you a poet and you know it? or I am I'm a poet and I do know it, yeah, yeah. That's good. It's good that you know it. I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> You're well aware of your poetic abilities. Yeah. I was going to talk to you about music first because obviously we met in Subsounds. So that's what I know you most for. Yeah. So bring me back. Where did it all begin? Where did it all begin? Well, yeah, I guess um, I was born on um, the 30th of December, 1997, and just all went off from there. Um, <laughs> all downhill. I always knew I was a genius, uh, but no. So, <laughs> um, we, yeah, I started doing Suburban Sounds, I think. I was like 
13, 14, I think. And yeah, they kind of just show you there how simple songwriting is and kind of started playing in bands and stuff then. And it all kind of spiralled off from there, I guess. Started writing, went on to study music in college and then just kind of started writing and releasing stuff and haven't stopped. Were you writing before you started Subsounds or did that kind of kick that off? Briefly, I kind of messed around with songwriting, but nothing I'd ever be proud enough to show someone, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, in fairness. But you, if I remember correctly, at the start of Subsounds were into like rap and stuff like that. Yeah, I kind of realised that a while ago. I'm kinda, I've kind of come full circle that I started off, yeah, being heavily into like spoken wordy rap stuff and then kind of moved away from that, started... Yeah, playing in bands and singing and kind of moved into a more punky style. And yeah, I've kind of just come back then. And I think lockdown changed me a bit where, you know, I would have always had band practice every week, you know. And when that was taken away, I kind of just had to improvise and do something that I didn't need other people for. So I think that's why I became more into poetry and spoken word. And you were about to do a EP launch gig just before Dakova. COVID. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I actually caused the pandemic, believe it or not. So, <laughs> Lindsay Lawler music is to blame. Lindsay Lawler music said, "Ah, oh, let's have uh, let's have the launch gig on Friday the thirteenth. To us, we're singing heaven." <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, dur- the morning of the EP launch, I was like, people were texting me, being like, "Oh, this gig happening tonight?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course, man. Of course it is." Friday, thirteenth of March. Like, woke up in the morning, gig was going ahead. Three o'clock in the afternoon, I get a phone call from the promoter saying that it's been pulled, and all gigs got pulled that day. So if I had been the night before, it would have happened. Like, Aww. it was literally the day all the restrictions came in, wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. But that EP is, is out now anyway. The EP is out, yeah. It's up on Spotify. I did launch it. I just had no gig to launch it. But it's out there and it can it can be listened to. So then you said it was kind of like lockdown and stuff like that that got you into the spoken word. I think so, yeah. I think that's what... um They say creativity strives within like restrictions and I think that's kind of what happened. I just had to improvise. So yeah. So you were saying about your writing process. I thought it was really interesting um, about like your inspirational walks and stuff like that. Yeah, so essentially, um, kind of why I struggled to write, I think, at the start of lockdown. The way I write is always outside. It's like, you know, when I was in college, like walking home from college or on the bus or walking through town and I'd see something and that would be my inspiration. So I'd just start writing something either into my notes app or I'd sing something into my phone. You know, then from not being out, I didn't really write at the start of lockdown because I wasn't out. There was no inspiration, nothing was happening. So I kind of switched around. I know in the back of my head that that's how I write and I knew that's why I wasn't writing. So I started to produce stuff on Logic and I'd, you know, lay down maybe a guitar idea I had or piano or something. And then when I was exhausted of ideas, I'd bounce the track out, email it to myself, go for a walk and just play it on repeat in my ears until eventually, you know, something's playing in your ears and you're like, oh, do you know what's coming out? You know, as if I was listening to it while I would want to come in. So yeah, essentially all of my writing is done outside of the house. I can't really write inside the house. It doesn't really work for me. And is the writing process for music and spoken word different or is it the same? Yeah, slightly different. I'd never start with music for spoken word or poetry anyway. That's always words first. Yeah, and then I guess when I'm writing songs, I find it easier to write either the guitar part or some piano chords and then write over that. But I don't know, I think for the majority of the time, I think my area of speciality is like words and lyrics. I think that's what I'm good at. So a lot of the time, yeah, I would start with words, but 
I find it easier for the song to develop if it starts with music, if you get me. Because if you start with the words, you then have to make music around it. And because I'm better at words, I think making music first, I can then tailor words to it easier, if you get me. Uh, yeah, no, I'm the same. I, I'd never... I used to write like I'd write music first and then lyrics. But then I was like, not great at the music part, so... I think, yeah, you need to work to your strengths, I think, don't you? It ain't easy up here. Definitely. It ain't easy out here. Because most of your, like, lyrics as well are quite, um like, like you write about what you see and you're quite, like, observant and a lot of it is very political and stuff. So it probably was, like everyone, I'm sure, like a bit of a dry patch where you're like, there's nothing going on. I said that during the first lockdown. I was like, feel like there's, like, nothing going on, but there's also loads going on. But I didn't, I don't, like, I don't want to write a pandemic tune, you know, there's enough of them out there. Yeah. I'm, like, so reluctant to write one yeah like I can't I wrote one and yeah that's it leave it there leave it there the one that was never released <laughs> <laughs> and she'll never be heard by anyone you've been quite lucky though in terms of like work during the pandemic I have yeah I really have which is nice for a change I yeah uh, just this year kind of started feeling like I was using my music degree for something which is a great feeling <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I got a couple of little commissions I wrote the narration for the unwrapped Christmas film Shining a Light so that was nice that gave me something to have a bit of motivation because I think it's really hard to motivate yourself when you're like what's the point like You nearly want someone to be like, this is what you need to do. Yeah, you need someone to be like, you need to do this. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And then someone is the motivating factor where like, it's so easy to just lie around and not do anything. And I always say, the more you're doing, the more motivated you are. So if you're working like five days a week, you might come home from work and write a song and then like clean your room and then like cook a big dinner. But I find when you're at home and you're doing nothing, you're like, oh, I don't want to do anything. Like, And then like when you do have something to do when you're doing nothing, it's like, oh God. The thoughts of doing it is like (laughs) awful. Like even today was the first kind of busy, like not even that busy, but a busy day I've had in like months. And I was like, oh God, I'm dreading it. That's it. Whereas before I would have been like, it's just a normal day, you know. Like washing your hair is hassle now, isn't it? (laughs) You're like, who even going to see it anyway? Why would I bother shaving my legs? Do you know what I mean? Why would I bother? Yeah. Yeah. Stress of death. (laughs) So yeah, sorry, I interrupted you there. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so I did unwrapped, um, and that was fun. I think it was uh, the biggest thing about that is like I love meeting new people. You know, at all like different kind of jobs that I would do here and there. I like meeting new people, and obviously you're not even meeting the people you know. Never mind people you don't know. Yeah. During lockdown, so I think it was really nice to network with all the, these people that I've never met before and kind of work on something with them. And it felt like I was doing something exciting for a change. And then from there, when I finished up that. I started on, um, I'm collaborating with two choreographers at the moment, which is like really exciting. Essentially, they're writing, I don't know what the correct term is, choreographing dances at the moment. And I'm producing music. So we're parallel to each other working they, so they keep sending me over videos of I'm doing this or whatever and we discuss what we want because essentially they found themselves in a position where they were professional choreographers and you know they'd go out they'd seek music and they'd find themselves like oh this is a great tune this is perfect for my dance get halfway through the tune and they'd be like oh I just wish that the drums didn't come in there or I wish that this happened here and essentially now they can just get exactly what they want yeah so that's been really fun I've never really um produced music directly for someone like that so it's it's actually a really cool... Is that Emergence? Is that what that's called? Emergence is the project, yeah. Because I think it's so cool 
it's very rare that like different art forms overlap like that. Do you know, like you're, yeah. most of the time if you're a musician, you're not a dancer. Yeah. Or you're not a dancer. Do you know what I mean? It's, so it's really cool to have like the kind of two combined. It is, yeah. And it's weird. I never expected something like that because when I was in college, we did have like um, like production classes and stuff that were tailored to like, this is what you would be doing professionally or whatever. And it was all like, you know, this is if you'd get an ad or if you get a movie sync or if you get like, you know, a TV show. They never say anything about dancers or anything like that. So that was a, like a nice surprise and something that I don't know, you feel like you might be scared of. But then once you get into it, it's not so scary, you know? I was going to say, did you find it daunting at all? Would I be right in saying it's kind of new territory for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I have, like, I produce music on, on Logic quite a bit, but, like, it would be my kind of music, you know, like like bands or bandy kind of demos that I'd be putting together, but never really um, in that way to a brief. So I haven't played guitar on it, which is a, a weird one in itself. One of the tracks, it's all kind of plugins and stuff. There's no instruments on it at all. You know, it's all done in MIDI. So that's a learning curve for me and something, again, that I wouldn't do if someone didn't need me to do it recently. So now that I've started doing that, I have started in my spare time also doing stuff like that. Again, if you're working on stuff, you will continue to be doing other stuff. Like, it keeps you busy. But yeah, it definitely was really daunting at the start. It was mentioned to me twice before I agreed to take it. Yeah. It was it was mentioned briefly a while ago and I was like, oh, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. Like, I can't. And then, yeah, it was offered to me again. I was like, yeah, right, okay, do you know what? Gizda. See what happens. But there is that fear that because, like, you're doing this job for a person that you might get halfway through it and just, I can't do this. Yeah. And what do you say? You've, you're halfway through a job and I think that's just kind of how the artistic mind works. You don't really know what you're capable of until you try and do it. But also, I don't know if you agree with this, but like I feel like when you're like any sort of an artist, your brain is always like, nah, you're not going to be able to do that. You look like... Always. You're like, shut up brain, I'm class. Impo- <laughs> shut up you, you think. Yeah, exactly. No, like major imposter syndrome yeah. and like all that kind of thing. But I think like in a weird way, like lockdown and stuff like that has allowed us to kind of try different things because you're not obviously working nine to five. You're not, you're just yeah. at home and then you can do all these different things with your art like... Yeah, I know a lot of people have really hated lockdown. I'm up and down. I think everybody's a bit up and down, really, though, aren't they? First lockdown was great. It was like, woo, like I've never, I've been working since I was like 16 years of age. I've never had, you know, more than a month off work. Yeah. So that in itself was kind of fun. Just to do things that you would never do, like, you know, spend a bit of extra time on stuff. Yeah, when you're working, you're like, I don't have time to, like, experiment with something. I can keep with guitar because I'm good at guitar, but, like, I'm not a kid anymore. I don't have time to go and buy other instruments and try them out, you know. But, yeah, lockdown definitely gave everyone a better kind of opportunity. But I'm loving it, and it's like, I don't know, it's bad to say. and I'm not, It's not even in a lazy way, but I'm loving not commuting into work, just kind of getting up and doing what I want. I've never read so many books I've never like spent so much time playing music and I've never felt so relaxed in my life I have genuinely haven't felt like stress obviously a bit of stress like the news is stressful there's a lot of stress out there but you know you don't have like deadlines or I'm gonna be late for work or like you don't have all of those like mini stresses and I, I just think that's been great It's such a different experience, like when you talk to people who say run, say like arts organisations, it's a lot more stressful because like they're still expected to like, you know, run the companies or try and think of other ways. But like for a freelance artist, it's like there's obviously the whole thing of like, will I get work and all, but it's also letting people kind of step back and probably spend more time doing like say music than ever before. 
Yeah, and I think it's given a lot of freelance artists kind of a lot of freedom because we have just been put on COVID payment and it gives you a bit of time to experiment rather than like just trying to get that shitty job in the pub down the road doing covers you hate because you need to pay your bills. Like, mm-hmm. So I think if anything, it might probably be good for some. Obviously, it depends on like what you were doing, how well you were doing. But I think a lot of a lot of freelance artists can benefit from this time. Looking forward to gigs though again, you know. Oh, stop. <laughs> Tell me about it. I was going to ask you about teaching sub sounds as well. Yeah. Because obviously that's another full circle moment. That's a big full circle, yeah. Yeah, obviously did the course in my teen years. Went on to college from there and then came back to work as a tutor on the course, which is great, but obviously it's pretty up and down this year, you know. Sub sounds, I think, is a great course. And, you know, you, you come in, you learn everything. You learn just the basics of how to be in a rehearsal room, how to write songs with people, gigging and then going to studio, how to do that. So you get a little mini taste of the music industry, really, like at a very young age, which is great. Yeah. This year, the course has taken a bit of a hit, obviously, like naturally, like everything. We can't have so many kids come into room, into studios, into rehearsal rooms. So we're adjusting to moving online, which can be done. And to be fair, everybody's really enthusiastic about it and makes it not so much of a drag. It's as well like not being able to like be in a room and just play something with someone. Yeah, like that's ba- the hardest part, yeah. I think. Like you said as well, like you used to go to regular band practices and now that's just like, how can you do that now? Yeah. Do you know? I don't know. And I even think like about bands that are kind of playing online gigs and stuff. How are they rehearsing? Are they rehearsing? Are they just thinking back to like old rehearsals and then practicing at home? It's a weird thing, isn't it? When you spend your whole, pretty much your whole life like collaborating and playing with people and then you just can't. It's so strange. Like I even think when you are allowed to have gigs again, they'll probably be both like a couple of weeks beforehand where people are like, okay, we just need to like practice and then book a gig. Yeah, it's going to be weird. It's going to be great, though, Yeah, um, to see some live music. The only good thing is, like, there'll never not be a demand for live music. Yeah. That's an industry that people ne- never thought was going to fall. Mm. Like, it's safe to say that if you had a really good position in a, in the music industry that you were going to be set, like, especially if you were, like, a session musician for some high-up bands, no one ever thought that industry was going to collapse. And, you know, <laughs> look at us now. <laughs> Look at us now. And I'm sick of talking about it. And even like these interviews, it, but you have to, because that's what's going on in people's lives, you know. There's nothing else to talk about really, is there? No, absolutely not. <laughs> so are you, what are you up to at the minute then? You're doing that composition thing for the dancers. Yes, I'm working on two compositions for two t- separate choreographers. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of just like playing around, trying to start getting into, you know, I'm edging towards the album. That's always the when are you going to do the album thing, isn't it really? I've been writing a lot of spoken word, um, a lot of poetry, and I've been trying to put that, that together and get that into some form of a song and hopefully make an album from that. That's what I've been really passionate about lately. And I don't like I don't believe in forcing creativity out yourself. I think that's never going to work out well. Yeah. So. I'm not vibing with punky songwriting or any sort of songwriting in general these days. So I've decided I'm not going to force myself into that when I'm really, really enjoying poetry Mm -hmm. and spoken word. So I'm putting stuff together and I have a couple of little projects coming out. I've got two like video short film projects I'm working on at the moment that I hope to get out very soon. And yeah, just kind of working on poetry and spoken word and trying to get that into some form of a tangible format, whether it's an EP or uh, an album, because I've got a lot of words there. 
that I'd like to get out there, you know? Absolutely. If people want to find you, what are your socials, all that jazz? So my songs are up on Spotify, uh, Lindsay Lawler, L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y-L-A-W-L-O-R. My Instagram is at Lindsay Lawler Music um, and there's a Facebook page as well which is just Lindsay Lawler Music there's not a whole lot up on social media accounts these days because I've been very bad because there has been nothing to post about but I will have a lot of posts coming up soon because I have been working on some stuff because I am aware that consistency is really key I think when, you put, when you're putting stuff up people are rem- constantly reminded that you exist and they will go and listen to your stuff but I kind of dropped off the radar with social media recently so I will have some stuff going up there soon and I'll hopefully have some music um, updating onto Spotify soon It is so hard though to keep on top of like posting and there's nothing to post It is because normally it's like, oh, I've got a gig this weekend or oh, I'm playing support for somebody in Workman's or like... Or here's a video from that gig that I did. <laughs> yeah, but I've been trying to do that. Like, oh, here's a picture of me playing a gig four years ago. Remember gigs? Or like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or some lyrics and stuff. I tried to take pictures of um, lyrics I'd been writing and throwing them up. But even that just got a bit boring. I was like, what am I even doing? Like, does anyone care? <laughs> And then, like, I don't know how to do any... Another way people put, like, covers and videos and all. I'm just like, how do you do it? Yeah, it depends on your motivations, I guess. I don't really like doing covers. Like, I like a good sing... Like, I'll have a sing-song with a couple of beers and play a few, you know, a few Wonderwalls or something. <laughs> but I don't really... Uh, I don't get a kick out of recording covers for some reason. Now, I love watching people's covers. Mm. I actually love... I love covers, like, watching people's covers, but I'm just never bothered. I'm like, I'd rather spend my time trying to make something that I can feel more proud of, I guess. Mm. You've so much, like, different bits. You have a few bits, uh, <laughs> all right. Different bits. The bits on you. I like, oh, lovely bits. Oh, what is it, bits? I like dipping my toes in multiple pools. That's awesome, awesome man. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Because, like, we can obviously tip and talk. So tell me a bit about Sake. Sake was the EP. Yeah, so Sake is the EP um, I released in March the, the gig that never happened and probably never will happen. Sake is a five track EP and it's based on um, just stuff that make me say, sake, you know, sake. Because a lot of my songwriting, it's about giving out, you know, I don't really write like, I don't write love songs. I just don't. <laughs> I write things, giving out about things that don't make me happy. Um, So sake was all done about personal experience and it's like past, present and future things that just stress me out and annoy me so it kind of started off like about the Magdalene laundries and I have a lot of giving out to do about that as do many people and then just about general unsafety of you know Dublin and kind of encounters I've had that just make you think about your children and you know how is this place a safe place for me to bring children into the world and then you know about social media and how people just get so absorbed by social media now they don't even know who they are themselves and there's bits about climate change and stuff so it's just um it's me giving out for five tracks about stuff that's just annoying and it's um I think it's pretty relatable it's not very personal it's kind of generalized about you know there's a lot of anger in it and I think a lot of people can relate to it. Unreal. No, I love Sake. I love um, No Teeth. Yeah. I think No Teeth is my favourite song of mine. I love that track. Yeah. Brilliant. And Eat the Money is a classic really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> love shouting you. Shout out. Shout it out. Nice one. I also um, set up a little macrame business as well early on. Um, macrame is kind of like a crochet. It's, a, it's an art really of making things out of rope. But it's done by hand uh, rather than using like needles or a crochet hook or whatever. And I started making little 
like plant hangers, if you get me, like, you know, like indoor hanging baskets. They're made out of, out of rope. And I said, I just kind of like really started enjoying it and I started doing it a lot in the first lockdown. And then I was like, I don't know anybody selling these. Maybe I could do that. So, yeah, that's how um, I started up a business called Not On My Watch. Um, I have an Instagram if you want to have a look. It's at Not On My Watch, not with a K. And yeah, I do lots of different things like wall tapestries, plant hangers, shelves. And that's kind of kept me busy as well, you know, because like, especially when I didn't really have a lot of music work to do when I wasn't going to work, it kind of gave me a bit of structure, you know, to get up in the morning and to make something and then to sell it. I kind of felt like I was doing something and it was nice to like, as you were saying, you know, you got a lot of opportunities, I think, in lockdown. And that was a great opportunity for me to just have time to like set up a business. And I'd never really have the motivation to do that, I think, if I didn't have time off work. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Thank you so much to Lindsay for chatting to me. Um, so part two, as I said before, is with Martin Moran. Um, myself and Martin are really close friends as well. Um, we also met through Subsounds. I was a participant back in 2012, which is frightening that that's nearly 10 years ago, but we're not going to talk about it. Um, yeah, as I mentioned before, Martin is the program manager of Subsounds. He runs Alternative Entertainments. And he's just chatting to me a little bit about um, the different projects that he has going on, how COVID's affected, you know, the running of the organisation and yeah, just other things he's been up to. So I really hope you enjoy that and I will talk to you after. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Martin Moran. I run an organisation called Alternative Entertainments. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about one of the projects that we do, which is called Subsounds. It's a youth music collective where... Young musicians aged between 14 and 18 write, record, arrange, perform their own music, their own songs. How did that uh, start off, Subsounds? I suppose it started with a different name back in 2004. It was called the South Dublin Rock School. I started it off in the community centre over in Aylesbury, Time and Bone Community Centre, with, I don't know, was there about 10 or 11 kids? Uh, and very soon after I started, Elton Mullally came on board and the two of us started devising a way of getting the most out of young musicians. And over the course of about four years, we worked with roughly the same set of players, set, same musicians. And in 2008, we made a record called Class of 08, which was a collection of songs that had been written over a period of about two years. So that was the end of that. And then in 2009, South Dublin County Council asked if we were interested in collaborating with another project that was happening over in Clondalkin, the name of which was Suburban Sounds at the time. And we just brought what we were doing into that was their thing quite similar or was it different? It wasn't really. It was more a, a literary thing. It was more poetry and the idea of, of the title Suburban Sounds was making field recordings, making recordings of sounds from the streets, from the areas around Clondalkin and interpreting them in poetry and in sometimes in song but mostly with spoken word. So the plan there was to have field recordings of sounds with the young people's impressions written as poetry but we kind of came in with our musical thing and well we just turned it into what it, what it is now which is we, we slightly changed the name to sub sounds because why not who's got time to say the full 
suburban sounds. So apart from obviously the fact that he's like, you know, changed name and joined with Ackland Dawkins thing, how has it adapted the course since it started and now the way it is now? I suppose, to be perfectly honest, it got far more professional, but the techniques that Elton and I devised really early on are the same ones we use now. The basic premise of the whole thing is to give the young musicians space give them the room to create and above all don't be patronizing so we tend to treat them as we would any musician regardless of their age so if if i go into a rehearsal space with a bunch of musicians there's a certain way i'll behave there's a professionalism that i will bring to it i'll be prepared i'll have good equipment if there's any work that needs to be done on the the songs or, or the music before i arrive in the room i'll have done that so we just imparted that sort of work ethic and then when we're in the room with them we're not the boss we're not the elder statesman we're not the teacher we don't really call ourselves tutors or teachers so that's the basic premise of the whole thing that's that's how we envisage it at the start and it's how we continue to do it so even though we've got lots more mentors on board and different people have come on board including yourself recently that way of working I think has persisted since the very beginning. I think as well it takes, like, what you see when the new kids come in, it takes them a while to get used to that, like, environment where it's not, like, a teacher and a student. Like, they're like, can I go toilet? And you're like, do whatever you want, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I usually say, I'm I'm sure you can. Yeah, I mean, there is is an educational part of it, but it's more an osmosis. It's more kind of soaking up the experience and feeling comfortable as a musician. A lot of young kids feel a bit embarrassed to describe themselves as musicians or songwriters. Quite often at the beginning of any project, we'll ask them to talk briefly about themselves. And very rarely do they describe themselves as singers or guitarists or songwriters, even though they might be sitting there with a guitar. I think it's like when you're that age, because like it's obviously people, I started when I was like 13, I think 12, maybe. At that age, you're like afraid to be passionate about anything. It's like, it's like a weakness if you say, I'm really into this thing. Yeah, well, it might come from peer pressure or lack or, you know, being with your friends and and being embarrassed to, I mean, I remember this from when I was a kid. You can remember that far back? I can, I have, it's like a myth, you know, it's like if you see one of those Bible stories for kids, it's all like graphic to me like that, like cartoony. (laughs) And obviously we didn't have 5G or 3D back then. So we were all kind of like cutouts just walking around in a 2D universe. <laughs> I do remember having those thoughts that you're you're describing there where amongst my friends I wouldn't really I wouldn't really go on about being a guitar player. Although I was going to to rehearsal rooms, I was trying to do gigs badly. But you're right, that element of self-confidence is usually lacking in in people at a very young age. It's not written down that this is what we do, but we do it. We improve people's self-confidence. We increase it. We give them a lot of space so that they can realize that they can they can talk freely about their creative ideas. And then they have people who will engage with them and who will try to realize them with them, you know. Do you think that people now need that kind of, like kids now need that kind of environment more so than they would have before? I don't think they needed it any more or less. Um, uh, when, when I grew up around Tala, there wasn't that much going on. But when we were offered workshops like this, we would jump on them and you know stuff came out of it. It's always been a very vibrant area for, for young bands and for music. And these days, I know that there's a lot more available to them you know, online and, you know, equipment is cheaper and it's much easier to 
to release music. I know I'm reluctant to generalize about this kind of thing, but maybe there's a little more insularity in, in society and in that people are locked into their own screens and their own uh, little virtual realities if they're playing on their Nintendos or they're engaging on Instagram all the time. Or what's the other one? The mine, Minecraft? No, I can't remember the name of it now. Minecraft? There is a Minecraft, yes. There is, and kids of very tender age, like, you know, you can see three or four-year-old kids engaging in these virtual realities. So maybe the biggest thing we offer is real engagement with real people and being able to plug things in and hit things and being loud in the room with other musicians. That's always vital. But whether they need it more or less now, I, I don't know. I think you always just need it and we need to be able to provide it. I think there's a lot more opportunity and talent anyway to do stuff, whereas before it wasn't there. So now there's a bit more funding. There's more people who are committed and passionate about it and there's more facilities. Ruhr Ed has been a great boon to what we do. You know, the studios here, the rehearsal rooms, there's some backline equipment for the kids to come in and rehearse with. So it's just easier to do than it was years ago, but it's as important and... That's all I got to say. Yeah, because I was thinking about how like it's gotten so much more popular than it even would have been back when I was doing it. And whether that's because, you know, people are more interested or just the fact it's got a bit like a good reputation and it's, you know, more known about now. It's a mixture of all those things. I think we have built it up to be a, quite a good project. We always produce great songs at the end of each year and the gigs are very good and people's friends hear about that. But there's other advantages that have come along in, since we started and social media is obviously one of them. The arrival of Music Generation as an organisation in the country and in particular in this county has been very useful for us. Their ability to talk to thousands, hundreds of thousands of people has definitely benefited us. How has um, the pandemic, because obviously it's such a practical course, the whole thing about it is getting people together and writing and playing. How has the pandemic affected the running of it? My personal opinion is that all collaborative art needs to be done in the room with people. It, it works better when you you have that personal, physical interaction. But it's not detrimental to us. We've, we've adapted to it and we've devised ways of working online over different technologies. We use Zoom a bit and we use online DAWs, uh, which are digital audio workstations. So usually we, we would use things like Logic or GarageBand or Reaper or uh, Pro Tools. But there is a thing that we're using now called Soundtrap, which is a very simple, basic, easy to use format that we use on these uh, Zoom workshops now when we're developing songs. So the songwriting is continuing. It's just, you know, it's a little bit more remote, but we are sharing ideas. The young musicians are able to um, throw up demos and whatever, guitar parts, drum parts, vocal ideas up on Soundtrap sessions. And then we get together in workshops and we have a listen and we share those ideas and we start to edit and arrange a little bit more using that. It's it's different from being in a room, you know, usually where, you know, somebody comes in with a song, they'll play it on a piano or an acoustic guitar or just maybe a singer will just sing it out. And then everybody gets stuck in and starts throwing in loads of ideas. So it's similar. Just delayed a little bit. A little bit. And that live excitement of 
hearing a song taking shape over the course of an hour or two hours can't really replace that with this online thing but look at it's what we got to do at the moment and it's working quite well i mean what we will miss and what we missed last year is the live performance aspect we will do some videos and there will be some there will be some kind of launch material that we'll use for the finished project when, when we get finished sometime around easter and maybe that has to be delayed now i think we might have to go a bit later than usual but once we can get back on stage with with all the musicians whenever that will be next year probably that's going to be that's going to be a great release i think so as we were saying it's gotten quite bigger and you've kind of started expanding into like different projects like subsense skills and all that kind of thing but there's one recently you've started doing songs from direct provision yeah, that's a very new one. We got a bit of funding from Creative Ireland and with the help of South Dublin County Council late last year. So we've gone into a direct provision centre in Clondalkin and we've started working with some young people in there who are in writing songs. And the idea is, the usual thing with Subsounds is that we produce a bunch of songs and we release them as an EP or if there's more than we make an album. Sometimes we release singles. So the idea there is to make a four three four five song ep this would have been much better if it was off zoom but we're on zoom at the moment we've only done two sessions with them so far but they're really into it they're really talented they've got bundles of ideas not just song ideas they've got dance routines they've got uh, ideas for pr and imagery and and, uh, everything connected and and video ideas so that'll happen the plan was to get it done by march but uh, this third wave of covid kind of overtook us all so again another thing that might have to be pushed out a little bit we'll definitely get it done but probably even more exciting than that and the thing i'm most looking forward to is that elton it was initially his idea actually to go into into a direct provision center and engage with young musicians in that setting he's also a filmmaker so we received some funding to document this process on film so he's going to produce a short film about you know, what we do, how, how we go about it, interviews with the people involved and getting some insights and in how their, their lives are progressing day to day, just living the way they have to live in, in those centres. It's been quite an eye opener for Elton and I looking at on Zoom, just seeing you know the spaces they've got to live in and, and wondering how people can be creative, but they can be, they are being creative in very um, difficult, I would say difficult living situations. And it's, it's just such a pity that obviously you have to do it on Zoom because, you know, it's probably much easier when you're dealing with, say, subsense people who've been through the course before. They know what way it works and it's like a temporary thing. But starting off virtually, is that difficult? Yeah, it is. It is difficult. Now, they've never done it the other way, so they don't yeah, realise that there's a whole other aspect. So they're quite excited to be involved. But the original plan for this project was that the centre would be coming to Rua and we'd be going to them. There'd be an interaction in both venues, but that a selected group of older participants from Subsounds who are either already doing it now or they have done it over the past couple of years, they would be taking part as well. So they wouldn't be writing the songs, but they would be the house band or they'd be the, you know, kind of almost like a a liaison between us older mentors and these new participants. So they'd help them get the feel for it. They'd be in the rehearsal rooms with them and they'd be shaping the songs. So a lot of these kids in the centre are not what, what you might think of traditionally as musicians they don't very few of them at least play instruments but they do create beats and they they write lyrics and they write melodies so i guess they are musicians that's that's i'm not phrasing that very well what i mean is when you think of a rock band you think of 
guitars, bass. Yeah, normally when you go in, things you might not play, you learn how to play or you get other people to play them for you. Exactly. So, so we, we were yeah. going in with a, a house band of kids who would have been probably about 15 to 17 years of age, maybe a little bit older than the kids in the, in the centre. They're all roughly 10 to 14 years, years old in there. Anyway, that isn't going to happen yet. Hopefully it will happen. Hopefully, you know, we might get some relaxation in, in the um, the restrictions, the COVID restrictions, and we might get some some kids into rooms to be able to do this live. But we, we'll, we'll get it done. And just judging by the uh, the first bit of work that they've done, they've already sent us a song, and it's pretty mind-blowing. But they had the song before we arrived, to be fair. They, they're using a thing called GroovePad, which is an app on your phone, a very, very simple app. It just gives you a beat, and, you know, you might get some piano chords. So they created their track, which is whatever, four minutes long, and then they wrote their lyrics over it. And, and like there's five or six singers and rappers on this. So they're all coming in and out and there's overlapping. And then they have a dance routine. The thing is incredible, actually. And do these kids live together? They live in a, used to be a hotel over in Clondalk, in the Tower Hotel, maybe it was called, something like that. So they're all in this building. So their families, like a family might get a room to itself. I mean, man, you, you see these rooms with bunk mm. beds in them and then little cots and presses full of stuff and boxes full of stuff because the space is at a premium. They get to use the uh, kind of public areas, the reception, and there's like play areas and, and conference rooms have been given over to them and they have... I think kitchen facilities that they share and stuff like that. Not ideal. It's a system that gets a lot of criticism. And now having just had a brief look into it a little bit you know, more than I had before, I can see why it's been criticised. It's kind of hard to reckon with. But like things like this, you know, it's probably like brilliant for them. They're probably delighted to have something to be. It's the same with the Subsounds and Tala. It's something for people to, young people to do, young musicians to engage with. Yeah. It's that. It's an outlet for creativity. I think a lot of people get fixated on practicality, on exam results, on what they're mm. going to do in college and, you know, how they're going to make money in the future, what, the, what, what kind of jobs they're going to have to get. And then stuff like songwriting, painting, dancing, whatever, whatever kind of creative pursuits you might have. All that stuff can get relegated, can get shoved to one side. Now, I'm, I'm a musician, so the idea of that always appalls me. So anything we can do to create space for that is, is great the, I mean Elton's the chap you should be talking about Elton's got great plans for expanding this project and, and, and coming up with uh, more and more things that w we can do and that we can if we can help well change that system it's, that's a big ask but at least draw attention to it and at least give people within that system more creative freedom I'm not sure what we can do as musicians but whatever we can do we're, we're definitely going to try and do that so freeing up that creativity having young people expressing themselves we didn't go into this asking them to write songs about the experience of direct provision we just want them to write songs like all young people whatever the inspiration is that's the inspiration whatever they want to talk about write about they want to write about cars or girls or boys or love or war or if they want to talk about living in a hotel room with their whole family they can do that too whatever they want to talk about once they're creating once they're writing and they get a taste of recording and hearing their work played publicly that's the same whether we do it in Rua here or whether we do it in the schools or we do similar things with Dunleary Ratdown you know just giving young people the opportunity to put their work out in the world and to see it breathing you know I think it's just great to have it expand as much as possible and give as many young people as possible that kind of opportunity or that you know 
I don't know what the word is, but it's a pity that it's only in certain places. Oh yeah, well maybe we'll, we'll go, go further afield. We, we have developed it quite a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, last last year we, we made a record with, and we, we just gave four young female writers a chance to showcase their work. So that was a, a very specific focus on that record, which was called Gems. And then we did an album called Declare and Protest, where we had these young musicians engaging with protest songs of the last, I suppose, 60, 70 years. In fact, even older, there was one song there that was at least 100 years old and they produced that album, Declaring Protest. So, you know, there, we have different angles. That one actually was mostly cover versions, which is something we almost never do. So that was interesting to get into an area that we we kind of decided not to allow cover versions. The point of it is write your own songs. But now we've got to a point where we are we have that established. We're pretty confident about what we can do. We started looking at cover versions and reinterpretation, and that was very interesting. So there's all kinds of ways we can spring off from where we are. And well, this direct provision thing is a, another opportunity for us to use a, a, a system, a project that works in a different way. So I'm looking forward to hearing what comes out of it. Unreal. Yeah. Look at yous. Well, you oh, say listen. look at yous. I mean, you're you're one of us. You're a mentor here now. You've you've I know. crossed yeah, over I to like the to dark brag, side. You know, I wouldn't brag about it. I don't. I don't like to brag. I'm kind of a big deal around here. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. What? You're boring me now. Okay. No money messing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Emil, for coming on and chatting to me about that. No bother. That will do it. Okay. Good. Over and out. So that's episode seven. I really hope you all enjoyed listening. Um, thank you again to both my guests, to Lindsay and Martin, for taking the time out of their day to chat with me for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Um, we've some really exciting guests lined up for the next couple of months. So definitely keep a lookout on our social medias for new episodes and I will chat to you again next time bye Arts Insight is recorded edited and produced by Jerry Horn of Contact Studio Contact Studio is a South Dublin County Arts Office initiative